This very special bonus episode of I Doubt It with Dollamore is brought to you by our generous listener supporters on Patreon and PayPal. If you appreciate what we do and would like to join them, go to dollamore.com slash PayPal or dollamore.com slash Patreon. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dollamore. Welcome to this very special bonus episode of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host, as unfortunately I always am, Jesse Dollamore, and I am joined by the lovely, talented, scholarly, loyal, ready, Brittany Page. Yep, that's right. <laughs> All of those things. Thank you. And 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 as evidenced by the title, it again, it, it's one of those things you can't hide who's it's a secret guest. Yeah, there's no surprise. It's all over the place. Is the 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 equally lovely, talented, and scholarly Ryan Bell. Hey guys. It's been a long time, it's man. It's been a minute. Yeah. Well, uh there's our audience, I'm sure the makeup of our audience is far different than it was when we first started doing this last time you were on, for right. sure. So let's let's get into a little bit about who you are. Um as a reminder, okay. you are the the year without God guy, currently the life after God guy. I'll never not be the year without God guy, will I? Should that's, I? <laughs> that's like permanent now. When you started your new show, I, I was, I remember trying to do, like I read a promo for it or something. Yep. And I w- kept saying, what a year without, I kept like molding the two names together. Year after God. You or branded like that. yourself so well, it, it was just hard to get out of it. So, um, should I give the, the the bio the rundown or you? I would see how you do. Let's nah. see. Let's see how you do. <laughs> well, so no, That's you're stressful. Gonna, you're, 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 <laughs> That's too stressful. You're, you're gonna do it. You're okay. Gonna all do right. It. All right. So um, <laughs> tell us your story, Brian. Okay. Like in less than two hours, I assume. <laughs> if you can do it. Okay, I'll try. Um, so I grew up Christian and straight out of undergrad became a pastor. Was a pastor for 19 years. That includes graduate school, um, so f- totally total time from time I started as an, in the ministry to the time I left was 19 years, and I left in 2013 uh, because the denomination got tired of me. Basically, I was a Seventh Day Adventist all my life, uh, and then became a Seventh Day Adventist pastor, and so then I you know worked for the man, and they <laughs> are very fundamentalist. Um, Denomination, yeah. American born, grew out of the Second Great Awakening uh, in New England around the mid 1800s, uh, part of a restorationist movement in America, apocalyptic fever yeah, uh, yeah, around yeah. the second coming of Jesus and all of that. So very, very conservative. And I you're, you're, I think your your standard um, milky white vanilla Christians in America would, would consider it one of the the three offshoots of normal Christianity. Yeah, we were like called Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, and Seventh-day Adventists. Right. And I would have insisted, and probably still do, that Seventh-day Adventists are 
marginally more mainstream than the other two. We don't have Did you our hear that? own book. <laughs> that, that, that That's Ryan Bell's way of saying, how dare you, sir? <laughs> <laughs> we got to celebrate our birthdays. Thank you very much. Mm. And Christmas. We can donate Amazing. blood. We can donate blood, right? We don't have... Uh, a history of our prophet didn't have you know a million wives under, banging dudes' wives under the age of fourteen <laughs> or anything like that. So yeah, there's it's marginally more mainstream. Um, we don't have we do have you know some uh, lesser known writings that come back to embarrass us. Uh, you know, I sure. keep say us. It's been five years. I don't know when. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I don't know when I'm ever gonna stop saying us and say them, but. Um, so that's you were you were um, I almost said Jehovah's Witness. You you were Seven Day Adventist and in it for oh, yeah. twenty years. I mean, you, for you, it was your life. It was, and you know, but for the last, I would say, ten of those twenty years, I was probably saw myself as this is going to sound a little pretentious, but I, I kind of saw myself as a reformer in the movement. Like I didn't, I was not like a lockstep Seventh-day Adventist for more than maybe seven, eight years. You're one of the guys who goes to Congress and says, I'm going to change it from within. Right. It was to change it from within. And I had mentors who really encouraged that because they saw that it needed to change. Mm-hmm. And when they were younger, they wanted it to change from within too. And they made their effort. And now they were administrators, sort of now part of the problem in a way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And hoping that this, the new young crop of ministers would, would keep pushing yeah and uh, you know move it the next but it's so slow and incremental it's sure yeah and st- you know so for right now at this moment you still cannot be ordained as a minister a- as a woman in the mm-hmm. seventh-day adventist church yeah you can't now there's uh what we used to call veggie ordination or a second class ordination which is called commissioning mm-hmm. and you can do everything that a normal ordained minister can do except be the president of a denominational body like mm-hmm. you can be the secretary, the treasurer, the vice president, you can, but you can't be the president. So there's still this glass it's ceiling. It's second classes. It's for sure. Yeah, it's separate and unequal. Yeah. Yeah. And they try to get around it. And the weird thing about that particular case is that the theological arguments just completely fall apart. Because the theological arguments, if you were going to really hold to them, would essentially prohibit a woman from having authority over a man. But they've already given that away. Because they, you know, so women can have authority over men in all sorts of capacities within the church. So what they're fighting for this little scrap of nothing, but it's got to be that way because, you know, you can't ordain a woman. So you can imagine where that puts them in relationship to the LGBT community Mm -hmm. if they can't even manage to ordain women. Right. Um, So I really fall out of favor with the denomination as I became more and more progressive in my my political views and my religious views and many times those overlapped. Yeah, of course. So I was um, basically fired or asked to quit, depending on how you look at it, in spring of 2013, so five years ago. And uh, took about the rest of the nine months of that year off just to sort of not think too much about the subject at all, just to try to find another job. I went on a little vacation just to clear my head and relax a little bit. And when I came back from that around November, I decided that I really needed to figure out what I was going to do with my life. And I had been um, doing some freelance journalism. So I really had a couple of journalistic projects, like year-long investigative things I wanted to do. Or this thing came to mind where I was going to take a year and explore atheism, almost kind of like a journalistic project of its own, Mm -hmm. Um, really diving into that, really... um, exploring what atheism in America means, visiting atheists, going to atheist conventions, talking to them about their 
beliefs, if you will, or lack of beliefs. I mean, we all have beliefs of one kind or another. Mm-hmm. Um, so what do atheists believe? If Not me. I'm a blank slate. Blank slate. Yeah. <laughs> Congrats, man. That's really tough to achieve. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing in there. I'm proud of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally empty up top there. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was just um, trying to figure that out. And part of it for me was also the theological. So was there a version of Christianity or a version of just theism that would still work for me or did it not make any sense at all? Mm-hmm. And by the end of the year, January 2015, I had decided that theism really didn't make sense for me and but it wasn't like as dramatic as I expected it to be it wasn't as life-changing as I thought it would be it was like life pretty much continued as it always had I just went to church a lot less yeah and appealed to supernatural intervention like a lot less mm-hmm. which I had kind of stopped doing anyway you know what I mean so it, was, it wasn't like this big like hit the brakes oh my yeah, gosh yeah. you know I'm here and then there's this cliff and now I'm down here like it wasn't anything it was like already that. a process of falling away you, you didn't right. stop praying and then your life was filled with orgies and heroin it, yeah or to, to, to flip the metaphor around it's it's like a, you know a couple who decides to get married after lots of years of being together suddenly on your wedding night it's not like so, things are just dramatically different now that you're married yeah mm-hmm. it's just a step in a journey yeah that symbolizes something but isn't like categorically different about your relationship it's still the two of you you know the, yeah like i remember baptism feeling like it was supposed to be that it was supposed yeah. to you get baptized and you're supposed to be this brand new person in yeah, jesus yeah. and you kind of get out of the water and dry off and you're like well, i have the same old feelings i always <laughs> you know, had I, I, I talked to somebody about this the other day and i don't want to get us in the weeds here um but that is kind of what you do when you have a blank slate uh <laughs> and growing up an evangelical christian uh with the gifts of the spirit and everybody speaking tongues and yeah. shanda hala hala whatever around you uh, I never did. I never spoke in tongues. And there were times where it verged on goddamn child abuse, where we lived in Missouri, we're in this church, and they, they youth group, they 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 take you in the, in the room, and the youth leaders, they lay their hands on you, and they're they're giving you the business, and they're, oh, they're going to give you the gift of the spirit. Yeah. And for, for, you know, minutes turn to maybe half hour, and half hour turns an hour, hour and a half. And it's still, it's not, I'm expecting it to be supernatural. Yeah. And because I'm not going to, why would I, if I really believe this, I'm not going to fake it. Right. And never came, never came. Fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, all the way through high school, never came. Mm. And I felt like the odd man out, like, man, everybody... God's touched everyone else, given them the gift of the spirit, but none for Jesse. It's just a... Yeah. So it, it, going to your the point about you expect it to be different. Right. And because you really did. You, 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 if you really believe what, you, what, what this is, when you're not doing it anymore, you expect, oh, it's going to be like a totally different life when... Yeah. Hey, just a, just a dude. Well, and the the mental gymnastics around it are really are really abusive, you know. So if you don't if something doesn't happen, whether it's that example of speaking in tongues or praying that someone will be healed or the worst one is, you know, some habit that you have that you're trying to give up, which is almost always masturbation. And you you know, you, you this is this thing that God doesn't want you to do and yet you're just compelled to 
you know, do that. And look, and then God you pray. didn't want you to masturbate. He wouldn't give you a dick in a hand. And a that hand. just <laughs> exactly. It seems like the, or the logic clitoris in a hand. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah, everyone yeah. masturbates. Well, like Doctor Drew would always say on Love Line, if uh, you don't take it out, God will take it out for you. Um, you like know. in a wet dream. Yeah. So dudes would call in like, oh, I'm so. Yeah, you know, it's just a guilty. natural part of the process. It's, it's all right. It's okay, part of your life. Yeah, yeah. it's gonna happen. This but episode you... of I Doubt It with Dollamore <laughs> is brought to you by <laughs> Masturbation, <laughs> Doctor Drew. So the first time you were on the show was July 2014. Oh wow! Yeah, uh, epi- episode halfway. 36. 36. Yeah, I yeah. remember that episode. And then the second time you were on was September 2015. That was okay. episode 154. For those that are going to go back and keep track, yeah, follow the journey. And it's accurate because she's got notes. Yes, exactly. Um, so I thought it would be interesting to kind of talk about your journey in atheism because it seems like from that starting point, 2014 to now, hmm. there's been a shift kind of in the atheist community. Um, I remember, I think when we first met you, it was at an event with David Smalley. Right. He was touring with the Christian apologist and they mm-hmm. had made a movie together, My, My Week in Atheism. Right. Which yeah. sounded an awful lot like A Year Without God. So. Yeah, yeah. They asked me to join them on that. Yeah. And even that guy has changed a lot. David Smalley. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you're trying to get me killed, aren't you? I, everybody quiet. I don't. They'll send the goon squad out. No, I'll, I'll, all I'm saying is that he's changed a lot. And <laughs> we've we've talked to a lot of people that kind of uh, were on the same journey as us as atheists, um, leaving religion, finding Christopher Hitchens, you know, reading the books, um, finding the community and kind of finding that what it used to be isn't what it is now. Hmm. And that maybe the politics have shifted. There's different priorities now. Um, I don't know if it's just certain figures in the atheist community or what's happening, but it seems like from that first time you were on the show to now, there are some differences. Have you noticed any? Yeah, I have. And it's hard for me to know whether the difference, whether things have, how much things have changed, because I think they have changed. Mm -hmm. It's hard for me to know how much they've changed versus how much I'm just more aware of Mm. some of the inner workings of things. So I know for sure that when I got into the atheist community, it was more about the metaphysical questions of whether there's a God or not. Sure. And this is the thing that's like red meat to dogs, you know, for anyone that's an atheist. You could be, you know, a neo-Nazi or an anarchist and get excited about someone who has some kind of zinger about how there's no God. Yeah. You know, this just kind of unites everyone. But at the end of the day, that only goes so far. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, It's like... How many years of your life can you sp- spend celebrating the fact that you figured out the answer to one question mm-hmm. that, you know, that there's not a God? And then, you know, and I remember um, my own personal experience was that Sam Harris, for example, was a, a big influence for me, not so much in his books, because I still haven't read like Moral Landscape mm-hmm. and... Um, and I have it if you want to read it. Yeah, I the have it too. The End of Faith. It, it's... I didn't read The End of Faith either. Um, I, I did read his book on lying, which I found a little pedantic. And then I read his book, Waking Up, which I actually found really enjoyable um, and insightful. And I was able to put in some of those things into practice in my own life in a meaningful way. And then his, he started his podcast uh, a little bit before I started mine. Uh, amazingly, his is doing a lot better than mine. <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I don't get why, but yeah. whatever. Anyways, um, 
And I remember early on, this would have been early 2015, thinking he's like a a European cultural supremacist in a way. I wouldn't have used those words, but he really does do you, not. Do you, th- you still think that? Do you think that now? I do. Yeah. Huh. Uh, even more so now. I, 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 so I think what, what I noticed was that he very unapologetically would say that Western European culture is superior to other cultures. Hmm. And, and so I even so much. So you're saying he would say that, not that he has said that. That he has said that. Because look, we've we lost a lot of listeners and Patreon supporters because of us um, shitting on Sam Harris about him and the the IQ thing and all that. So I'm no fan yeah, of Sam I Harris, but I don't know, man. I think that might be a bridge too far. Well, I'll have to. I'll double check. You yeah. know, I'll go back and look. I just I remember because I remember doing a search for, um, what is it? Um, I'll think of it. There, there's a, an expression that he used that was um, multiculturalism. Mm. That's what it is. So he was very, um, I remember hearing him really sort of bag on multiculturalism and especially in Europe with, and especially around the Syrian refugee crisis, a lot of the Syrian refugees coming to um, to Europe. Um, and the main reason they didn't come here is we just didn't let them. Yeah. Um, and and then when he had Douglas Murray on, and Douglas Murray is very clearly anti-multiculturalism and a Western cultural supremacist. No question yeah, yeah. in my mind. First, about I agree that. with that. Um, and I think he occasionally pushes back on um, um, not Charles Murray, but uh, Douglas Murray. I think I mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, occasionally pushes back on him, but not really. Like I think they're essentially in agreement around the superiority of Western civilization and. On one level, you can get a lot of people sort of nodding with you about that, you mm-hmm. know, like Sam, like Stephen Pinker, like saying that, you know, the world's gotten safer, the world's gotten less violent, the world's, you know, people's longevity, people's lives last longer uh, than they did a thousand years ago, all of which is, you know, patently true. But the implication within that is that there is something um, superior about Western culture and I, th- I think there might be ways of measuring better and worse in some categories of that, but I think it's dangerous when you have this kind of blanket uh, disregard for people of other cultures. I think that's where Islamophobia comes from. I think that's where um, a lot of racist ideology comes from. And I think ultimately that's where... Well, they the hang neo, their hat on the, that. They the, hang their fucking hat on that. Right, so. and, and the alt-right eventually, I mean, that's an extreme. And I'm not trying to say very clearly, I want to make, sh- make sure I'm saying clearly that I don't think Sam Harris is alt-right. But I do think that th- those ideas of Western cultural supremacy lend credence and ammunition to people who are already predisposed to go that direction. I, I think it, no one can, well, no one reasonable, I think, can push back on the idea that that Sam Harris offers oxygen to the fire mm-hmm. that is white good, supremacy yeah, that's a good way and alt-right it. ideologies. I, I mean... I, I think you're specifically referencing, like, um, his Russell Brand interview. Did you listen I to that? Because no. I, I, we had someone on, Ian, at Team Ian on Twitter, um, to talk about that segment specifically with Russell Brand and Sam Our, Harris. our senior incel correspondent. Oh, yeah. So... <laughs> what a 
distinguished title. When you when you talk about the Western um, supremacy, are you talking about it in the context of like a, an Islam conversation where they talk about like um, females being oppressed in those cultures? Or is it something more than that? I think it's more than that. I mean, I think that's part of the conversation. And I think maybe that's where it for people like Sam and Christopher Hitchens and people like that, I think that's where it stems from Mm -hmm. because there are clearly reprehensible cultural practices. I used to teach um, cultural studies at Azusa Pacific and we talked about cultural qualities, cultural characteristics that are most of the course we talked about the fact that whether you use chopsticks or a fork is neither right nor wrong, just different. And Mm -hmm. the way people organize their lives and the way they prioritize their families over their jobs or the other way around is cultural it's not necessarily right or wrong mm-hmm. but but there are practices like you know female genital mutilation right. which is categorically evil and i don't think we should feel bashful about saying so right you know not allowing women to drive you know mm-hmm. making them cover themselves except for little slits for their eyes to peek out right all of these things are oppressive and mm-hmm. i think it's fine to say so yeah. and to call that out but i think what then follows behind that with a lot of bias, I don't know that it's necessarily overt. I think it just comes from the fact that, of course, I think that my way of life is the best one. Otherwise, I would do it differently. Right. Right. So, like, why would I organ? I'm not deliberately living my life in a way I don't think is best. Yeah. So, of course, I think my way is the right way. It's mm-hmm. just a blindness to there are other ways of organizing your social and cultural life mm-hmm. that would be would be fine. I mean, I think chopsticks are fucked. I like them. I'm I'm clumsy with them at best, but yeah, it's just because you don't have the skills. So that's all that's about. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, develop the skills and then you're fine. I think that that is touching on kind of what I'm talking about in the change. And I don't know if it was always there, but it seems like the predominant belief in the community, or at least the pillars of the community, is this idea that they don't have bias or right. they don't exist in a tribal nature. And uh, mm. Robert Wright wrote yes. that article, which was great, so um, pointing out the ways in which Sam Harris does tend toward tribalism, yeah. just like all of us. We all do. Yeah. yeah. And he took issue with that and like tweeted and and uh, oh, he's got all butthurt about g- it. Like gave, he does everything time gave and a rebuttal, gets but criticized. All all you have to say is yeah, man. I we're all biased and I'm I'm continuously working on that and we should all work on it and that's not a big deal like <laughs> yeah that's like to me a white person or like a white male in particular claiming that they don't have any sort of racial bias mm-hmm. I'm like yes you do for sure yes you do and I know that you probably don't mean to and you don't want to and you're trying not to which is great I, I, here's how I like to do this let me I'm gonna give Ryan Bell a little lesson Okay. All right. I'm ready. Um, how I like to talk about it when it is not not. I know you don't think you do. It's this. Look, I try to be as 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 open about race issues as I possibly can. I get called a fucking social justice warrior like it's a pejorative. Wow. Look so, at you. How so far you've come. I want to talk about that too. <laughs> but so how I talk about it is I have racial bias. Sure. Not not you. This nebulous you. It's yeah. I do. Right. And I fucking work really hard to not let it influence how I fucking act and how I think and how I behave and how I treat people. And Right. And I think the key to this is that we cannot, we can't think our way out of these problems by ourselves. We need people in our lives that help us see these blind spots. Mm-hmm. Men need women to point out where they're being, you know, misogynistic or 
dis- disregarding the views of women. I mean, you can sit around a table at dinner and watch men talk over women all day long mm-hmm. and then analyze it at the end of the meal. And people will say, no, I didn't. No, I didn't. I'm like, I have like, you can video it. You can see. Yeah. And they don't mean to. They're not trying to be asshole men. They just do. They feel entitled. I do it, you know? Yeah. And And I think this is the thing. You don't mean to talk over people that you think are less valuable than you. Mm-hmm. You just do. Yeah. And you don't mean to only invite white men on your podcast. But yeah. you, but you just do yeah. without mm-hmm. thinking about it. And when someone accuses you of it, it's like, well, I didn't mean to. And intentions are not worth anything. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So you what you need then we're, if we're working on that very thing right now, trying to find, yeah, and really you, make it an effort to get women on the show. Yeah. Because, you, what, I'm not talking about your podcast. No, 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 no. We're fucking guilty. But right? it's I'm true. Gonna, and there there have been notable journalists. And I've got that, a fucking woman co-host that I'm interrupting right now to say what I'm saying. There you All go. All the time, in fact. <laughs> Um, I've read several articles uh, by journalists that have have said I noticed this on my own and I decided to start keeping track of it, collecting data and figuring out how many women I was interviewing, how many people of color. And now they intentionally reach out to women and people of color to balance, to Mm -hmm. give a balance to the people that they're reaching out to so that there's many voices included. And so even when Sam Harris dismisses that criticism, it seems like, well, that's that's something that you could easily fix and it why would that be bad to just have more representation on your platform which is very large give an equal side <laughs> and it's not just about political correctness you know this is the this is the problem with the, the whole debate around political correctness if you were just going to invite some people of color on your show so that you could say that you had people of color on your show that's like a kind of phony political correctness the reason that you invite people of color on your show is because you want to learn how the world looks from a perspective that you can't see by yourself. Right. So, you know, how many of these shows do we have to listen to where a room full of white people are bashing on Black Lives Matter? Where are the people that founded that movement? Where are the people that live day in, day in, day out inside that movement fighting for their very existence who are not, like, I don't think, I don't listen to every Sam Harris episode and I don't, haven't listened to any in a little while, but I don't recall him having a leader from the Black Lives Matter movement on his show to talk about it. No, he hasn't. How hard would that be? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even if you don't buy into it, yeah. you just, well, let's hear what you have to say. Well, isn't and that let me his challenge claim? your ideas. Isn't that his claim that yeah. he has this broad ideological diversity on his show? Yeah. And again, I don't mean to pick on Sam Harris. This happens all the time. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, no. I wanted to move off the Sam Harris thing because... We don't he... want to lose any more Patreons. Well, no, 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 <laughs> not at all. If, you know, look, I'm going <laughs> to... If people tune in because they want to hear what they think, then they're tuning into the wrong show. But I also think it's an important conversation. It's not an attack. It's we could all do better in this area. Absolutely. And talking about it isn't to single one person out. It's, well, we should all be reflective and right. we should all be doing better in these areas and we shouldn't be afraid to address it or talk about it. Yeah. But the movement back on that, and then mm. I want to talk about the the something that I learned from you. Uh, stay tuned. Um the movement has taken a pretty hard jerk to the fucking right. Yeah, I think so. When when you've got, I mean, and I'm not even talking about the the Carl Benjamins. Yeah, let's call him Carl Benjamin. I don't call who, him. Who is he? Sargon of a cod. Oh, that right, dumbass. Right. 
Um, by I the way, can't I remember, remember who he is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There this you is go. like no. This is the fifth time that it's had to be yeah. explained to me. I have a really hard time. Um, with it. it's, I appreciate that. It's guys, and then the the kangaroo atheist guy. The kangaroo atheist. Oh, I don't um, know that one on YouTube. His name's Devin Tracy. It's a kangaroo, name. and he talks behind the kangaroo. It's all these cowards who don't really put their faces on. The amazing atheist who yesterday said that he wasn't going to give up. T.J. Kirk. What's his What's his name? The guy that was just fingered for being a rapist. Uh, the Weinstein. Act- no, the actor, the the big, oh, um, the breaking news, Morgan, Morgan Freeman, Friedman, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and he tweeted that uh, no one was going to take Morgan Freeman away from us if he, he didn't care if he raped every person in the world. Yeah, okay, that's just the way he is, right? And he's he's uh, again he's he's made a, a, a an industry, a cottage industry, and made his his name on being quote unquote the amazing atheist. That that is atheism. It's like faith without works is dead. Yeah. You know, atheism without humanism is fucking worthless. Worthless. The, the God question is fucking worthless. Yep. Unless you replace it with a better way to treat people. And all of these assholes from Carl Benjamin to TJ Kirk and every other one of these people who are, I got you on the technicality. Facts don't care about your feelings. Fuck off. <laughs> oh, yeah. Charlie Kirk. <laughs> Fuck off. Ben Go Shapiro. away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. Is Got that, that it? Off your no. Okay. I, I, I just get pissed off. Well, man. well, I also I noticed something when I um I published data for my thesis last year in Skeptic Magazine, right? And um some it was just about it was data from atheists showing how they define their own atheism, and some of the atheists, a substantial number of them, were very certain in their um stance. They said, "I I know there's no God. Yeah. I'm certain there's no God. A lot of certainty going on." <laughs> And so I just, I wrote an article uh, about this. There were many that weren't certain that, you know, said if the evidence was there, they would change their minds. But right now this is what they believe. And just writing an article about how atheists describe themselves. I got a rebuttal video. <laughs> Someone called me a closeted theist. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, like it, it was, it was the strangest reaction. How dare you question their reality? Yeah. I'm like, these are how atheists describe themselves. As I'm, they, you're just reporting. They, yeah. they dogmatically respond to being called dogmatic. Yeah, but you you can't <laughs> say that because atheists, when you adopt the label, you're just inherently without bias. You love science. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You're super logical and great. And A that, blank slate. <laughs> That's right. And I, I wonder when we're going to you know, stop with that. And when we can start to understand that just because you have decided to not believe in God, that you're not an inherently logical person who's without bias. It's just strange. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's something else I'm noticing. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I think we, that is why cognitive biases are so tricky is right. that we, um, we think that we're immune to them Yeah, or we don't think that we are. We would probably confess that we're not, mm-hmm. but then that's the whole point of the cognitive bias is yeah. that you don't see it, right? So you <laughs> right. need someone to point it out to you. So you need someone to say, you know, that thing you said, it, you know, it has a history and it means these things to these people and you're perpetuating a myth about this when you use those that kind of language or whatever it happens to be, right? Right. And if you're, if you're super defensive and you think that you know everything, then you're going to be like, no, that's not true. Yeah. And instead of just listening, just listen for a minute. Like we had a presentation at the American Humanist Convention last weekend. Dale McGowan was talking about his title was really a good title. He said, are humanists ready to essentially it was 
cleaner than this, but essentially it was our humanists ready to pick up the slack as churches are sort of decommissioning mm. as people are leaving churches are yeah, yeah. humanists ready to do something with that like be there for people right. support them whatever and he started his thing by saying here's some things that i think christians do better than humanists and people had started shouting out from the audience questions and challenging him from the audience nobody had done that for the entire wow conference and and i just thought wow so defensive like just listen mm-hmm. he has data like he's showing you like you know the, the stories and the testimonies of people right. um, that have been reported for a long time. Mm-hmm. Pew research, he was sharing. Right. There's and, some evidence there. Right, exactly. Right, right, right. <laughs> but people don't, they're just defensive like, well, he said, oh, that they're more generous. He started going on to like philanthropy and donations and that Christians are two to three times more generous with their money than non-Christians. Well, someone shouted from the audience, that's just because they're spending it on themselves and their churches. Yeah, but they're giving it away to... Not to what, them. To what they believe. Yeah. yeah. So again, that may or may not be true. But my th- my feeling at that moment was, wow, you didn't even let a, a one second go by before you shouted out your rebuttal to what he said, because you already are so conditioned to not believing that. Yeah. You've got it all figured out. Yeah. Yeah. And that there, reproach. And that there's no possibility that there's even anything remotely positive or beneficial about right. religion or practicing faith um or that patriotism is itself a kind of religion yeah and that when you you know argue about how great america is you're also participating in a kind of belief system yeah kind of mythology and and look i i i am that guy you're talking to me and i'm yeah you're right well and i'm very happy to live where i live i'm i'm certainly not looking to move anywhere else even though as bad as things have gotten recently um Canada's cold, brother. Canada's cold. <laughs> yeah, Sweden's kind of cold. Norway. Ooh. Right, right. Australia, though, eh, they have there's, their own problems. There's though. creatures. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of creatures. Spiders. Like yeah, this. no, thank you. And, and they're being led by a ding-dong right now. They so are. It's, uh, they got their evangelical problems as well they in Australia. Do. Yeah, they do. It's weird. Well, it, it, it is the weird thing right now. Um, the identity politics, the 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 lack of ability to, to see past your own bias. I guess it's easy to do because you're inside your own head. You're not looking at your own fucking face all the time. You can't. There's no place to stand outside. But even like, not even, even I didn't, blah, blah, blah. But <laughs> during during the, the Harris-Ezra Klein, I don't even subscribe to a show because it just fucking yeah. it gets me frustrated. But I, um, I listen time. to most of them. Yeah. And she does. So good for you. when something good comes up, <laughs> Brittany, Brittany, <laughs> Brittany points me to it. And it was, the Ezra Klein conversation was great because... He's like, look, yeah, identity, you do operate within uh, identity politics matrix because your identity is white American, white dude. That's identity politics just because the politics are on your side most of the time or for the past 240 years doesn't mean it's not identity politics, dude. It's and an still, interesting new he, attack. He, yeah. It, I had never even, when he said that, I was just fucking, it blew my goddamn mind off my And what shoulders. did Sam say? Oh, he said, oh, that's not, I have the quote. He said, um, oh, that's not identity politics. Right, right, right. Oh, it, so it doesn't apply to you. Right, right. Because whiteness in America is not a race. Yeah. No, it's the, it's, that's it's the, the baseline. That's the baseline. Yeah. yeah. It's just normal. Yeah. So white people, white people are not aware of their whiteness because it's the normal. Yeah. And so you have all of this 
ignorance walking around. And I don't mean ignorance like stupidity because these are smart people. It's just blindness. You know, you don't. Yeah, I think blindness is more apt. Yeah, yeah. And I think you, you can't unblind yourself without help. Mm-hmm. You have to submit yourself to someone else's story. Right. And I, I used to teach this um, class where I would do this thing on race and we would predictably, it's mostly white people in the class, get a lot of pushback about, well, I'm not a racist. And I'm like, hold on a second. I didn't say you were racist. Yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't say you were racist. Just let's just think about this for a minute. And I used to show this video. It's a very boring educational video that I think should, could be redone in a better way. But essentially, there's these six men of different racial groups talking to each other in a two-day retreat. And there's a moderator. And the black man, one of the black men is telling the, the group what it's like to be black, essentially, just to simplify it. And the white man is saying, nah, uh yeah, yeah, like dude. I was really nervous driving into this neighborhood, the black man said, because of who's here and the imagery that I see. And and the white guy's like, oh, stop. It's right. not dangerous. I think I've watched this video. It's like it's a group the of color people. Of fear. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, oh, yeah, I'm not surprised you would have seen it. It's mm-hmm. kind of old, but in mm-hmm. your educational yeah. journey, you would have seen it. Yeah. yeah. That's where I ran across mm-hmm. it. And in the end, what the moderator said, the moderator doesn't step in very much at all. He's a Chinese uh, is it, it scripted or is it real? No, it's, it's, real. it's real live. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's fucking... And the Chinese man... It gets the, intense. The moder- it does. People start yelling and cussing and screaming at each mm-hmm. other and crying. And the at one crying. moment... <laughs> Pussies. Yeah. <laughs> Facts don't care about your feelings. <laughs> Snowflakes. Oh. <laughs> um, the moderator says to the white guy, he said, what if what he's telling you is true? Just what if? What would that mean for you? And he thought about it for him. It was the quietest it had ever been in like an hour. And he thought about it for a second. And he's like, well, God, that would be horrible. Yeah. And he said, what if it's true? Ugh. And he starts to cry. The white he, dude. Yeah. And he says, I, I can't even, I can't even let myself go to that place. Ah, it was like a breakthrough. Yeah. It was a, I have goosebumps right now telling yeah, you. Yeah, I'm about getting it. emotional. Yeah. I'm like, this is why I was a pastor. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I was, I was like, holy shit, that's the moment. That's the moment when you actually listen to this person that's sitting across from you and you're not thinking, fucking liar. Yeah. yeah. You're thinking, oh, that person has a story that's real. And they have their own biases, of course. They have their own whatever right. going on in their lives. But if they tell you, that they get stopped by cops at least once a week and for no reason, or whatever it is, whatever their story is. And you don't say to yourself, God, that's true. That must be true for them. Like, how would I know? Yeah. Uh, Then you're deceiving yourself and you're closing yourself off to a reality that's available to you. And you're choosing to live in your own little bubble. And you're you're also choosing to not be part of the solution for that person. Yep. You're you're joining the ranks of the recalcitrant who aren't going to, they're just, well, if that's what it is, fuck you. It's not that way for me. Right. Not all white people. Yeah. Blue lives matter. <laughs> like, oh my oh. God, please. This is this is the one area, that, this is why I love the shit out of you, Ryan. You're, you, you've become super good, um, uh, good friends with, with us and we, we appreciate the shit out of you, but it was, it's, that's the one area that was so instrumental. <clears throat> Why am I getting emotional? Um, is the white privilege thing? Being we early shows, we talk about white privilege and oh fuck, it's it's not true. Uh, you know, Brittany grew up in a white supremacist household and poverty, and and that's terrible. And we 
just pushing back against that. If I'd gone on the, the next, I mean, we've known you for four years or so now. And if I'd gone on being that guy, fuck, man, I'd be no different than fucking David Smalley or Sam fucking Harris Dave or any Rubin, of these assholes. Yeah. And so I, I really cherish our friendship because of that, because mm. it's, oh, fuck, man, I could have been, I mean, who, who knows if I would have gotten there eventually, but, uh, I don't know. You just opened opened up my eyes to some shit, and um, hmm. it's really cool, man. <laughs> well, I think the the important thing for people to know, and this is why it's impossible to have these conversations on social media, um, because you don't know when someone is being disingenuous, when they're just being sarcastic, when they're just trying to attack you, and when you approach white people that don't want to give in to this idea that there is such thing as privilege, um, they feel attacked. They mm-hmm. feel like you're not validating their own struggles that right. they've had, and it you you have to you have to get through that and explain that well that's not really what the conversation is about. It's not. Mm-hmm discounting your struggles Mm. it's just saying hey recognize that other people have had it worse and that there's certain things that you've been given that have Mm. made your life easier that's what you brought and that's it it's not about and the other thing that's really been powerful for me and i think really helpful in getting past this is that it's not about i'm torn about this because i think people should feel a sense of like fault you know for not getting it but it's not about you one person having racially biased views. That's a problem, of course, and we should all work on that. What's what's more important is that there are systems of privilege that you, that we, the four of us, participate in, whether we want to or not. Yeah. Like you don't get to opt out of it. This is, unless you move to Mars or something or some other country where it's drastically different or something, like you don't get to opt out of it. When I walk into a, um, when I, well, when I walk, uh, we sometimes um, dog sit for for people. So when there's a dog with us, when we we walk a dog in a neighborhood at at night, um, nobody looks at us weird like right. we don't belong there. Right. Yeah. Um. And and I didn't ask for that. Mm-hmm. I didn't set the world up that way. Yeah. I didn't. I don't even want the world to be that way. But it is that way. Right. When you pack your bags out of an Airbnb. No one calls the fucking cops to see if you took their shit. Yeah, like it just happened yeah. here recently, somewhere around your Tarzana or something. And and the white people who benefit from that privilege, like me and all of us in this room, it's not our fault that the world's that way. It it is our responsibility to work to change it and to be aware of it. And you're to, goddamn right. It is. But it's not. I think if we can take the sting of blame away from people, they can more easily kind of take a breath and and say, "Oh, I get it. It's not like." It's my fault, exclusively me, that the world is like this. It's just that I benefit from it when I shouldn't necessarily. It's it's like being born on third base. Like Yeah, that's it. It is that. It, and it, also, I think it's how we talk to one another related to this topic. And I'm the worst at how I come across when talking to people because I'm an aggressive dick. But Brittany is a lot better. And she she really works to to, to be pretty magnanimous in conversation, really actually trying to change hearts and minds where I, you know, I'm Jesse D, so there's not so much I can do. But I think that that comes from me having been changed by conversation. So because yeah. I used to be so dumb and believe terrible things because of my indoctrination, right. that it was people reaching out to me and being like, now, wait a minute, why do you believe that? Like, where'd you hear that? 
and then yeah. helping me work through it. If someone came at me and was like, yeah, you're wrong and you're stupid and you shouldn't believe that, I'm going to be like, well, <laughs> I feel attacked right now. I'm going to believe it like yeah, double yeah, yeah. now, <laughs> you right, know, double right. down. Um, so I think it part of it is how you have the conversation. It is hard to do yeah. with certain turds, but... Yeah. Y- you have to try. Well, yeah. Well, you I, did it with us. And I, mean, I, think, I don't think I'm some special. I don't think you started like at a terrible level, though. You know what I mean? Well, you mean like, I wasn't like, I never owned a slave. I wasn't that guy. But <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you're painting yourself in a very Black negative way. Black great right now. Yeah, I wasn't that guy. Yeah, you were not that guy. And I think that's there's there's different levels. Well, and you weren't making $80,000 a month on Patreon either where that i think jordan peterson i do i do think that changes the dynamics for people of course you start playing validated well we were talking about appreciate what i say you you also right you want to keep your status so he's not incentivized to reevaluate what he's saying or reevaluate his positions and notice that i reevaluated my core beliefs when i had no job no income no family like i was at the bottom i was like Sure, why the hell not? Like, everything else is falling apart. <laughs> I may as well look at my core beliefs, too. Maybe yeah. that has something to do with it. Yeah. Whereas if, you know, if I'm making $70,000 a year as a pastor and I'm, you know, comfortable in my life, it's probably not the time I want to, like, let's just flip this upside down and see what happens. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know? yeah. So I think those things all play into it. And I also wanted to quickly, before we move on, just... Are we moving on? Say, no, just before I... Whose show is this, motherfucker? <laughs> <laughs> How dare I you? don't get a chance to say this. I, uh, <laughs> fair, fair. Um, that I, you know, I didn't come out of my mother's womb with these insights. So, in as much as you didn't, you've no, oh my god, we thought that you did, right? <laughs> you were a blank slate at one point. I, I was, I was. <laughs> Holy shit, pure from birth, almost like an immaculate conception. Ah. <laughs> but yeah, so in as much as you've benefited from our friendship, I've benefited so much from other people's friendships who enabled me to see these things. I think of a group of black clergy in Philadelphia who really took me under their wing and showed me what the world was like in North Philly Mm -hmm. and that it wasn't my comfortable Bucks County, you know, life. And Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, there have been people who've slapped me upside the head and said, you, you know, it's like we, it's what Ananis, one of my favorite quotes is from Ananis Nin, who says, you know, we don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. And, and I, again, that's a kind of very categorical statement. Of course, we see some of the world as it is, but it's influenced by the people that we are and the stories that we have and the history that we have and hmm. the people that we've associated with. And and I think it's it's only, of course, it makes sense. You know, we're social creatures. We develop our worldview and our attitudes about the world as we go. Like we don't, we aren't born with a complete set of instructions about sure, how to be yeah. human. You know, we learn as we go along how to be human. And if you learn from a white supremacist, you know, cult, then you're probably going to grow up. It's just like what Richard Dawkins always said. If you grew up in India, you'd probably be Hindu. Right, right. right. You know, if you grew up in Saudi Arabia, you'd probably be Muslim. If you right. grew up with white supremacists, you'd probably be a white supremacist. You know, it's just yeah. how it works. Yeah. I, I, I think it's uh, important advice for people. Not like I'm... Uh, Give us that advice. Dispense, probably man, very dispense. terrible. Don't listen to my advice. Here we go. <laughs> but is embrace uncomfortability. Yeah. Walk right be in. okay with be, be okay with the tension of having people that you don't really I, we've like I don't have as many black fans as I should have or that I'd like to have um but but it would it's because it's uncomfortable and not because they're black and you're white but because they've lived a different experience completely different experience than you and mm-hmm. that's it doesn't jive with 
uh, a bunch of white people together. Well, where you and sh- so much this so- shared compendium of experiences and emotions and worldviews. And we've created our societies in which they probably don't even live near you. Yeah. They don't live near me. You know what I mean? Like we have our social systems set up so that we're segregated from each other. So yeah. when do you even have, for, for a lot of white people, when do they even have a chance mm-hmm. to like share a beer with their neighbor who's a person right. of color? Yeah, yeah. Right. You know what I mean? Like you would do that mm-hmm. if your neighbor was a Latin American immigrant and they and you were sitting on their porch and you were like, hey, you want a beer? And we would sit there and talk, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah. we've we've got this all fucked up social system where housing prices and school districts and all this bullshit that separates us from each other and as much as we would like to be in this rich and i did enjoy living in la for that reason because we did have a more diverse um sort of community where we all were just sort of on top of each other the downside of living in the city is that you're on top of each other and the upside is that you're kind of well there's the orgies now we're going to get to the heroin that's right exactly exactly. (laughs) yeah so i think it's it's really cool and I, i appreciate um our friendship too. And I, I told Brooke the other day that if you didn't live so far, if I didn't live so far, that we would, I, as far as from my perspective, we would be in each other's lives a lot, oh, a lot sure. more, you know, for I, sure. you'd, you'd be a close friend. And I, that's something I lack for actually, you know, is, is close friends and, and well, uh, move to Orange County, fucker, you know, <laughs> I might just, I might just embrace that commute to Pasadena for work. We're not on top of each other. in no. Orange County. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> well, you, you not. Have neighbors down below. Yeah. Um, it's it's funny because that's what we talked about a lot on the first episode was checking the privilege. Mm. That yeah, was like right. a big topic for the first episode. Yeah. So wow. for people that are like wanting to see the evolution, they can go to episode oh, yeah. 54 and listen to that I and then st- listen to this that. one. Yeah. Um, that's when the little Miss Newport Beach label oh, came. <laughs> I thought that was going to come up. <laughs> see, you've been we puffi- can't let it go. You've been puffing me up and now it's time for me to be like smack down. <laughs> Should we give the story now or just make people go listen? Um. Oh, go listen, go listen. It's yeah, bad. go listen. <laughs> so, uh, how what's what's going on in you with you, man? I mean, you um, you, you you got a gig that sounds just hmm. tasty for you. Yeah, yeah, it's good. So, I work at the Secular Student Alliance now. I'm the national organizing manager. So, yeah, probably a lot of your listeners don't know, uh, which is a great opportunity for me to just say a few words. It's um, a national organization. It's been about, around about 17 years. It was started by students at Ohio State University who looked around and saw... Excuse me, the uh, Ohio State University. Yes, you're right, you're right. The Ohio Uh State University. And they looked around and saw all these religious clubs, mostly Christian clubs, and they weren't Christians. And they said, well, let's have community. Let's meet meet together and, and have fun and do educational workshops and whatever they wanted to do. And they did, and they called it Secular Student something. Eventually, it became Secular Student Alliance, and when those students graduated, they stayed on and formed a nonprofit that uh, now is uh, has chapters in over 250 uh, campuses around the United States, p- including Puerto Rico, Alaska, Hawaii. Um, and growing? Or and growing, kind of, yeah. yeah, yeah. We just added 30 new chapters in the spring semester uh, that's just ending. We have a few in Canada. We don't support a lot of international chapters um, just because it's expensive to ship things that far. And um, there are some international student organizations that, I mean, there are student organizations in other countries that are doing similar work, though not as as big as SSA. So I have a staff of two people that work with me. The three of us are the outreach team and we're on the phone and Facebook and email and Skype and video and whatever, just communicating with student leaders all over the country 
Um, they have their own autonomy. So there's like, they have their elections and they have a you know, president, secretary, treasurer of their chapter. Sometimes chapters are as small as four or five people. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're a hundred people on campus and they can do anything from, you know, meet together and play checkers or whatever. Dungeons and Dragons more likely. Community. And, uh, <laughs> or they can invite a speaker and we support them with grants uh, for projects that they want to do. So we have a speakers bureau that we can facilitate them at having a speaker come to their campus. Awesome. We put on a national conference, which is happening next month at The Ohio State University in Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> if, you, if you've ever said to yourself, you know what I would love is to be in Columbus, Ohio in July <laughs> or the end of June, this is your chance. Yeah. Oh, perfect. And next year it will be at um, USC mm. um, where... Just to sort of dip into that little piece, um, I was recently asked by the um, religious... um, I was just going to ask you about it. Yeah, yeah. Chaplainship, right? Yeah, so I'm the humanist chaplain there, uh, following in the distinguished footsteps of uh, Bart Campolo, who was the first humanist chaplain at USC. Um, But our dean of religious life, Varun Soni, is a remarkable guy. He's a Hindu uh, himself personally, but... I don't think he would mind me. He was on my podcast a few episodes ago. I would. I don't think he would at all mind me saying like a very humanistic uh, Hindu. Um, he really is passionate about the 42% of USC incoming students who are non-religious. Yeah. And, you know... It's a it's, tremendous percentage. Yeah, it really is and growing. And so he's saying, okay, we have groups for different religious kids, but what are we doing for our students who are non-religious and probably wouldn't even know what humanism meant mm-hmm. or athe- even like atheism it sounds like oh that's a bridge too far yeah you know so who do they go to if they're having relationship crisis a yeah. problem with classwork a chaplain right you know they're not going to go to the christian chaplain or the muslim chaplain or you know they might go to the counseling center and the person might give them a kind of clinical approach which could be really helpful for them but just in terms of like an older adult to just talk to you know that's um kind of in a similar place. So that's been just getting started. I don't know. People ask me about it and I, I tell them, I'm just learning what it means. I, I, don't, <laughs> yeah, I, don't yeah, even, yeah. I don't even know yet exactly what it means, but it's really exciting. And so USC is going to host the SSA conference next year. I'll be here in LA. Um, so that's exciting. But it's it's really great. I mean, the conference is going to be fantastic. We're, we're doing everything from, you know, bringing um, a, a woman who works in Columbus in sexual assault a response uh, to do a workshop on how men can be um, the answer or the solution to sexual violence on campus. Mm-hmm. You know, really digging into that subject because that's touched the secular and atheist community as it's touched every community recently. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, the president of USC. No one's immune. No. No. I mean, we just talked about Morgan Freeman a second ago. The president of USC has just just announced he's stepping down because of the did, gynecologist. Yeah. yeah, he did absolutely nothing about the gynecologist for twenty fucking years. Yeah, while well, that guy, like the Olympic gymnast mm-hmm. doctor, uh, Larry just serially abused women in disgusting, horrible. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't that. know that there's a non-disgusting way to abuse a woman, but like, right? I mean, it's just horrible. Yeah. Horrifying. We talked about it on the show. The Nasser story or the USC story? Both. Both. Wow, people don't even know about USC. It's amazing. I'm glad you guys have covered it. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Well, we were going to do, in fact, we're going to be on the next episode, we're going to cover it as follow-up, talking about what you're saying right now. You're breaking news. Yeah. Right. That the USC uh, president is... Yeah, stepping down. Howdy. Yeah. After a long tenure, like a record fundraiser, like he's raised more money for USC than has ever been raised for any campus in the United States. That's mm-hmm. even better that he's stepping down because they're putting... 
the 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 value of their students and human life above the money that they raise for their endowment. My that, hunch it's a big is deal. that the trustees, without pressure from the students and the faculty, would not have done anything just based on the quotes I read. Yeah, the lawsuits the are Times. coming. The lawsuits are coming, and the faculty they wrote there were two hundred signers on a letter basically asking him to step down. Mm-hmm. Wow! And the some of the trustee, one of the trustees I read is quoted as saying that he has no. Um, sort of lack of confidence in in uh, Nikia's ability to lead the university. Mm. So, you know, it, this is this is all I guess all to say that it matters like when you put your name behind something that you care about, you can actually change things and um you know, I'm sure that his family loves him and he's, you know, uh, whatever. I don't know the man, but he should have clearly addressed this as well as the the doctor who was in the medical school who earlier this year the big story in the LA Times about this doctor who was partying and doing drugs and with like women and it just totally inappropriate uh, on campus. Um, so two big scandals in at USC in, yeah, one, yeah. in one year. It's you know end of the end of the road for him. Mm-hmm. It it is good to see um, that the Me Too movement. What it, what's happening in it as far as culling the ranks of these some of these pieces of shit, but. Uh, I was very disappointed in how so many atheists, humanists, people in the secular community mm-hmm. rallied around like credible accusations against Lawrence Krauss mm. and and people and David circling, Silverman circling the wagons. Right. And they want they want like DNA evidence before they you know, there's like a, there's a pattern to these things. Yeah. And when you, if it's an isolated accusation that comes out of nowhere, when multiple I, campuses have said, "Ah, you're persona non grata, brother," you can't come around here anymore. Yeah, that's come on. On two continents, I mean, it's like Australia, United States. I mean, it's not like some random accusation that comes out of nowhere. Someone with a grudge because right. they got a bad. Not grade. some conspiracy against because he's so famous. Kraus, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, so I was disappointed, and you know, and Shermer's in the same boat. He's for years been, um, you know, repeatedly. Uh, accused of being inappropriate with women. Um, and, you know, Richard Carrier is another one who keeps suing the women who have accused him of unwanted sexual advances. So um, we're making it extremely clear at SSA. We have a zero tolerance policy at our conference. We're inviting this presenter to come and talk to us about the culture um, that exists on campuses of yeah. rape and violence against women perpetrated almost exclusively by men. Um, and even men who are the victims of sexual assault are almost always the victims of, uh, of other men. Um, so this is, yeah, I look the world over men are the fucking worst. I mean, come on. Yeah. It's when really, there's, uh, a, when there's a genocide that takes place. Um, yeah, it's not women it, it's with in the hands of a man when, when, re- I mean, it's yep. come on, but male bodies are disposable and we really should emphasize right. MRA rights. <laughs> Wait, MRA rights? That doesn't make sense. Brittany Um, (laughs) Brittany took some red bills before the show today. Yeah, you guys. You're being really rude. Um, If we could stop. There's a community that's hurting. Uh, That's right. There's a community that's hurting. Yeah, and it's the MRAs. Because if they don't get custody of their kids and... They go to war. And, oh, yeah. War. And, and, and women made them do that. And right. ladies won't have sex with them. <laughs> this know. is the biggest thing. We have to redistribute the women. Yeah. Uh, I know. Redistribute the women. That's the new thing. Commodity. Yeah. Delates. Yeah. Because, you know, according I'm to Jordan. I'm owed sex. According to Jordan Peterson, if we don't get these men some sex. Yeah. 
they're going to bomb things and run cars into crowds of people. Well, listen, which bring, is which is us- interesting because all of the um, people have been trotting out the the statistics now about domestic violence because he said that line about if men monogamy. if men don't have a partner they become violent. It's like well right. they they're also violent when they have partners. Right. Um, <laughs> so what are you saying? You never heard of domestic violence, yeah. right? Like, yeah. mm. Well, like I said, if God didn't want you to masturbate. <laughs> he wouldn't have given you a hand. He or she would not have given you a hand <laughs> and a penis. That's right. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Once again, this episode brought to you by <laughs> masturbation. <laughs> oh. Well, that is good. I think we should uh, just kind of naturally yeah. end on the masturbation note. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Where can people find you? Um, your, your show and your Twitter or whatever sure, else? Yeah. So I do have a, a podcast, which is um, a little less frequent than it once was. So about every other week yeah. now uh, called There's Life After. great back catalog, too, though. I, yeah, I that's really true. would recommend uh, what you do is different than what we do because we do stuff that's not evergreen. We, we have listeners, and I'll let you get back to what you're saying, no, it's brother. Fine. Uh, but we <laughs> have talk over me. It's okay. We have, we have <laughs> listeners who, who like, like the diehards who will go back and listen from episode one all the way through 411 Whoa. or whatever. And I'm like, that news you're listening is so to like, old. Like when when Donald Donald uh, Sterling. Sterling with the Clippers was acting like an asshole. I mean, w- wow, that's four year old news. You yeah. have a medal for those people. <laughs> yeah. We should. Yeah. So uh, your your content is evergreen, and there's some great great stuff in there. Conversations you had with with both religious scholars and atheists, and you did the series. You know, the X Files. People came out of religion. It's just good. I, I advocate for your show. Thank so. you. And you were so helpful in helping me get it started. I mean, you. Talk taught me everything I know about the Aww. technical side. The, the both of you came to my apartment and we recorded a bunch of shitty stuff and then tried to fix it. And yeah. yeah. It was great. I mean, drink a bunch of shitty wine trying to fix your shitty show. It was pretty, it was a pretty great. Actually, the wine was much better than the show. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was great. And you, you know, helped guide me through the whole like opening uh, intro segment and the ah. what board to buy and how to. Yeah, it's great. So Good do you guys want now, me to leave? Yeah, I can. I can step a, out for me. I've got a hand. This He's is got a, a penis. This is an intimate situation. <laughs> it's getting a little hot and heavy in yeah. here. <laughs> yeah. So life after God. Yeah, life after God. Uh, Lifeaftergod.org. Um, we have all the social media stuff. Uh, the Twitter and and Instagram and Facebook are our life after God because the other one was taken. Yeah. Um, but, good times. Yeah. So it was good. It's it's fun. Um, we we've been doing. I've done a few episodes recently with. Um, in particular with uh, women who have been in really, uh, really yeah. abusive Christian situations. One of them was a Seventh-day Adventist like I was. and But her experience of Seventh-day Adventism was almost unrecognizable to Culty. me. Culty. Oh, yeah. So bad. And the ex-evangelical movement online has become much more well-known and the hashtag has really taken off. And so the interestingly, the ex-evangelical community aren't necessarily atheists. They're hmm. just simply ex-evangelicals. Hmm. So some of them are still believers in God. Some may have moved on to a progressive liberal Christianity or something like that. Who's but, the guy on Twitter who's like the anti-Trump pro- prolivitz or? Oh, I don't know. It, well, I, 
anyway, there's a guy who's super active on Twitter who's uh, a Christian, a, a former evangelical. Somebody just emailed us to have him oh, on the show. Oh, yeah, I think I knew him. I don't know. Yeah. I can't remember, remember his name. Christopher Stroop uh, was one of my recent, my, maybe my last episode. Um, and he's really popularized the hashtag exvangelicals and empty the pews. I think his first hashtag was empty the pews. Hmm. Um, just a call for people to vote with their feet in these toxic congregations, you yeah. know, where people are being abused. And, and it's not a call to leave Christianity per se. Not necessarily. It's just go find another church that's going to have better better outlook on equality and, and, and equity. Just the way they treat people. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. so we've done a few of those recently, but I do love to have um, philosophers and people far smarter than I am and more learned than I am because I think that's um, if I can bring anything to the conversation it's sort of the ability to curate those conversations yeah I think and so and bring um, what could be a rather heady book to read for some people maybe although most of them are pretty accessible but whenever you get a really intelligent academic to talk to you just in a conversation, they really bring it down. Yeah, to, yeah, it's yeah. It's fun to do, you know. We've had them on and they have to do it with this show, so. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, you know, blank slate. <laughs> so, yeah, that's where you can find me there. SSA is at secularstudents.org. And, um, yeah, we would love if you would look us up and, you know, sponsor a student to come to the conference. Uh, come to the conference yourself. I mean, it's for students, but it's going to be a, a great event. And uh, I think you know, non-students would really appreciate it as well. Right on. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on. Oh, man, a pleasure. Way overdue. We, we appreciate it. We love you very much. So we are going to leave you there. We appreciate you joining us for this very special bonus episode. If you have any questions, Ryan Bell does not live far from where we are in Orange County. You could probably have him back on again. Uh, questions for him, 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. If you like what we do here and you want to help support the show, you can go to dollamore.com slash Patreon. That's like an ongoing Kickstarter campaign. You can uh, go to dollamore.com slash PayPal. There's all kinds of... We even do cryptocurrency now. So Whoa. many ways. You can go to dollamore.com. On the left-hand side of the page, there's a bunch of links of uh, how to support the show, help us move the conversation forward on an episode-by-episode episode basis. We'll see you next time. For Brittany Page, Ryan Bell. I am Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt. It.